Hello and welcome to Dream Life Best Fit Role with me, Nikki Smith. I'm a psychologist and a career and business coach. I believe everybody can love their work and I help people to use their natural strengths to transform their work life and love their job. These podcast episodes shine a light on individuals who have created their dream life, best fit role or business. I focus on how they've played to their natural strengths, those activities that energize and inspire them and how they've conducted mini experiments to take the fear out of change and generate momentum. Hey everyone, I'm really excited to be speaking to Carly Nemo today. Carly is a communicator, a connector and creator. She wears a few different hats. She's a voiceover artist and agent at Killer Copy. She is a podcaster behind two podcasts, which we'll go into shortly. She also runs a podcasting school and her mission is that she believes everyone has a message inside of them and it's her job to help them to be heard. Now, when I think of Carly, I think of her as not only a dreamer, but a doer and she has strengths that explain that and we'll be jumping into that today as well. So welcome, Carly. Thank you. So Carly, it's great to have you on the podcast and you know a bit about this because I went through your podcasting school. So Carly witnessed this podcast from concept to publishing. Sure did and it was an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to share more about you in terms of your strengths and mini experiments that's gotten you from A to B. Let's start out with a bit about your work pathway or history. Okay. I was always an entrepreneurial type. So a bit of a lemonade stand kid, you know, went to uni because I mean, what else you do? Studied art. And so then I just kind of got out and got a job in sales. And I guess that's really because of my communication skills. It was a natural kind of progression for me. I love people. I love talking. And so sales kind of seemed a, a good field because, you know, I studied photography and film and TV and, and they seemed like a more difficult way to make money. But I figured that I could work in photography sales and then still get a little bit of my artistic stuff in there. I always had a side hustle going on. So I worked as a photographer doing weddings and dead balls, but I was always crippled in self-doubt around that because it was all on me. It was before digital. So if something went wrong with the film, if I didn't get the kiss, just a lot of pressure. And I have always suffered from pretty crippling self-doubt. So I put the photography stuff on the back burner and thought maybe I'd like to work with my voice. And during this whole time, you know, going pretty well in sales, moved up the ladder, wasn't really lighting my soul on fire. And, you know, I was just kind of going through the motions. So I decided that I was going to do something that I'd always wanted to do, but just thought that it wasn't possible, which was work in radio. So I quit my job and did a, a metafella in Byron Bay, packed up my life and got a job in radio in Lismore. And that was great, except that the pay was atrocious and the egos were huge. <laughs> so I decided that I could make that money surely. It was about $440 a week without the stress doing something that I love. I bought a microphone and I started a copywriting agency with a bit of voiceover on the side for fun. The voiceover side stuff really took off and been running that business since 2005. We've got about 20 talent that work all over the globe for us, Australian and New Zealand voiceovers. And we work with large corporates like Telstra or the four big banks. And I work with them doing voiceovers for learning programs. And so that's that's great. And it's a business that I've really set up to have a lot of systems and procedures around. Uh, but that gave me a lot of free time to really ponder 
the meaning of life and and what my purpose was. And in 2009, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety and had really lost connection with who I really was. So since then, I've been on a path of figuring it out and loads of mini experiments. I didn't know that that was what they were called until I came across you and this amazing concept. But yeah, so the last, what is that, like eight years has really been a lot of trying stuff and learning about who I am and and what I love to do in this world. And so now I feel like I'm in a really good place. I'm doing work that means a lot to me. And I've got all these amazing things going on in my life and none of them are draining me where before uh, there was always something not right. I was always waiting for the lightning bolt of inspiration to hit so that I would have all the answers. And uh, and these days it's more just about trusting the process. And so, yeah, I feel like I'm in a really good place now. I guess that's the Cliff Notes version because <laughs> I also had $100,000 business failure with a co-working space in Byron Bay. I've had a whole bunch of burning debris from business ventures that I've tried and not succeeded at. And now things are working. But I don't take that for granted. So it's, you know, just life is one big mini experiment and I'm embracing it. I love that. And I love that you were the queen of mini experiments since eight years ago. And since introducing the concept to you, I love how you've taken the pressure off yourself of something having to be a success immediately or really judging yourself harshly if something hasn't been a success. But I wonder, would it be possible to talk about in a bit more detail two or three of those mini experiments where it either gave you clarity on what you wanted to do more of or clarity on what you really didn't want to do? Yeah. So some of them have been mini and some of them have been huge monster (laughs) experiments. I guess when I was more attached to me finding the thing the biggest one was really the office collective. So that was that was a big experiment, but at the time it felt like this was this was my soul's journey that was going to get me to the destination, which was for me to have some kind of community, some kind of group of people around me who really got me. I didn't have a lot of friends that were self-employed and really I just wanted to have people around. So I thought if I open this space, it would be a really great way for me to meet like-minded friends and change the world a little. Yeah, perfect. So this is a co-working space in Byron Bay. And so what was it like when you opened up on that first day? Um, So I I followed a real build it and they will come model, (laughs) which I will not do again. And so this was really the key lesson to me, right? So before this, I used to build everything within an inch of its life and then launch it and trust that, you know, this would be the thing that would explode me to Oprah status and my life would be magically fixed. It was the thing that really taught me that we can do things more MVP style as a minimum viable product. We don't have to go to all the expense of um, $100,000 co-working space. I could have just done some pop-up spaces and gotten people together to have lunch and work together. You know, I didn't have to go to that huge expense. But the, the, the key things that I learned was that I really didn't want to be locked into a business that I had to be there all the time. It didn't suit me. One of my highest values is freedom. And that was certainly the opposite of freedom. So I lost a lot of freedom. Like I used to go for walks in the morning and and I lost all that when I started the co-working space. So I really figured out that I didn't want to be tied down to anything that required me to be on 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Hallelujah to that. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was an expensive way <laughs> to learn that lesson. But I mean, there were so many lessons in that. It, it wasn't just about that. There were all, you know, there was also the whole not starting a business from a need within you or me that isn't being met. So I really started that because I wanted to have, uh, you know, a community of people, like-minded people around me. And I thought that that was the way. So I started that business to fulfill a need within me when that's really not a great model. It's not a, not a really great reason for starting a business. You really want to fulfill needs in other people and uh, not just yourself. Yeah, but a big lesson. But I also feel like when I introduced you as a dreamer and a doer, as a dreamer and a doer, there are going to be high highs and low lows, I think, because you take action on that dream and potentially you go full throttle as well. And it's a lesson that we're all bound to learn in some shape or form. Yours just happened to be big and felt visible to you. Probably wasn't visible to necessarily that many other people. That's the truth. (laughs) Somebody said to me, it's like throwing a wedding, but then not sending out the invites. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of what it was like. I did send out invites in the end, but yeah, it felt very visible and huge to me at the time, but not that many people knew it was even there. So, One of the silver linings that I've seen of that experience is, Carly, I really feel like you've taken on that you want to shine a light on the stories behind success. And that was part of the inspiration for one of your podcasts, that not enough people are talking about the failures or the mistakes or the hard times. And One thing I'm constantly amazed by and that I don't think enough of us understand and including me until recently is kind of at each level of success. It looks like when you look outside to other people, it looks like they know what they're doing. They've got it going on. There's not much self-doubt. But at each level of success, self-doubt rears its head again. And what I've loved witnessing you do is sharing your own story with a lot of vulnerability and honesty, but also shining a light on other people's experiences as well, because that normalizes that actually it's tricky and it's tricky at each level. For everyone, you know, no one is immune to it. And I think you're so right. Like we do look at others and see like we can never know what's going on in between somebody's ears. And so what we see is what we are really projecting. And so it's rarely the truth of the situation. While while the Office Collective was going down and I was crying every single day and, you know, my life felt like a mess, people were sending me messages saying, oh, my God, you're killing it. And I just couldn't understand that. And I hadn't even – I hadn't felt like I'd been hiding the truth But people see what they want to see and they see a small business owner and make a whole bunch of assumptions about how amazing our life must be. And it's hard because we are constantly having to put ourselves out there and stretch beyond comfort zones. And that stuff really brings up a lot of things. Yeah, exactly. So and I think it's very cruel that our brains have not developed, you know, since ancient times that when we face uncertainty, our brain is flooded with self-doubting thoughts. So they actually really never go away, but we can dial them down and manage them and broaden our toolkits to um, cope and manage them. But I'm still (laughs) surprised and annoyed that that's the case. Yeah. So I love Carly's take on fear and how to overcome it. And we'll get to that in a minute. I just would love to hear about one more mini experiment perhaps that helped you to gain clarity and momentum in a more positive zone to where you are now. So earlier this year, I really reached breaking point where I had, I'd been trying so many things and nothing was working and I was having cash flow issues and it was a nightmare. 
Uh, and I had this kind of breakdown where I realized I could just go and get a job. And it just kind of lightened the load a bit. And straight after then, my best mate, Lisa Cordoff, said, let's just see if this idea of a mastermind would work for us. So I had run a mastermind before. It was a mini experiment. I had two people sign up and I deemed it a failure. And so I was kind of a little bit nervous about this one, but we thought, you know, why not? Like if nobody signs up, I was in a more of a place where it didn't really matter anymore. Like it wasn't like my self-worth was tied up in how many people said yes to me anymore. So we just decided to see what happened. And can you explain what a mastermind is or what you mean by that? So, I mean, it means different things to different people, but our concept of it is, you know, Lisa and I are best friends. We hold each other in our highest version of ourselves. So I see Lisa at her highest potential and she sees me at mine. And we really value that friendship. When things get hard, I call her bawling my eyes out, you know, wondering how I'm going to move through this and vice versa. And so having that kind of friendship with someone was what I was craving all those years ago when I started the Office Collective. Uh, And it helps us both move through things way more quickly because we have the outsider view of us at our highest potential, which is an amazing gift and one that, you know, many entrepreneurs don't have. So what Lisa and I wanted to do was bring together a group of 12 women to create a really safe place for them to come as entrepreneurs while they're moving through their stuff and have friends in the process. So a group of people up-leveling their businesses in really good company. And so that was really the concept. And we we threw in some things like we would teach them a bit about, you know, our, our different areas of strength because Lisa and I are really yin and yang. Her strengths are around marketing and mine are really around systems and procedures and letting yourself off the hook. So we really balance each other out. So we just decided, let's just put it out there. We'll create a little video explaining what it's about We'll create like a little survey monkey form application. And if people fill it in and they want to jump on a call with us, we'll do that. There was no website. There was no nothing like that. <laughs> it was all very low, low maintenance. And if we get 12 people, we'll go ahead with it. And if not, we won't. So we just kind of ran it as an experiment. We put it out there. We had about almost 40 applications come through, which was amazing. And we interviewed 16 or 17 people and 12 made the cut. We really wanted to make sure that the people that we were bringing together felt right. So there were some that we turned down because they weren't the right fit. And the 12 that we've brought together have just been incredible. So it's a mini experiment that has totally worked. I have found working with women at this level and helping them really move through their stuff is is what I'm kind of here for. So in a roundabout way, through a series of experiments, I finally landed in this place where I do feel like I have a deep sense of purpose and I am doing work with meaning and I'm using all my strengths and skills and I'm just loving it. And it came about because we just took a chance. If it worked, we'd go ahead. You know, if we got the amount that we wanted, we would go ahead with it. And if not, we wouldn't. And it was that simple. It wasn't all the personal stuff that it had been before. It wasn't like, if we don't get the 12 people, this is about me and my inadequacies. It was just like, look, we'll just throw it out there and see what happens. There's a couple of things I love about that. First is that even though you'd run a mastermind before and you deemed it a failure, you're open to running another one. 
I love that for a couple of reasons. The first reason is Carly did one mini experiment with a mastermind, but was open to doing another one. And with mini experiments, it's worth potentially doing more than one, even on the same theme, because we don't necessarily have enough evidence from doing something one. And the way to figure out whether you want to do that or not is to look at the before, during and after. So not just the nervousness of before doing something, but what was it like during? Was there some joy in supporting people? And afterwards, what was positive and what was negative? Was the actual doing okay, but just the numbers weren't enough? So being open-minded to do another one is absolutely genius. The second thing I love about that is that you collect collaborated with someone you really like who you mutually understand each other and it sounded like that just lightened the load you came up with some guidelines that you're both happy with and really your self-worth was not attached to the outcome at all totally because it was spread the responsibility was spread and responsibility is something that has weighed heavy on on me throughout my life so I used to you know when I first started Radcasters I used to take all the pressure on me. It's like these people have paid me. So now they need to start a podcast and I would become obsessed with making them want to, you know, making them take the action, but you can lead a horse to water. You can't make it drink. So this was just a different kind of energy. It was much lighter. The responsibility was spread. So I knew that if we weren't to get the numbers, it wasn't just because of me. It was different energy about it, which, um, which was really great. It was so nice and refreshing not to have it be all about me. Love it. And so when we think about this in terms of strengths, when you collaborate with someone and you have different strengths and they complement each other, again, it lightens the load, potentially means that you can operate more in your zone of genius and someone else can operate in their zone of genius. And then, like you said, you're going to feel energized and not drained. So let's talk a bit about your strengths now. My top five strengths are communication, empathy, activator, strategic and developer. Fantastic. So I'm going to quickly define what they are. Communicator is the one that sounds like it is. As you can tell, Carly finds it easy to put her thoughts into words and people with communication theme are generally great conversationalists and presenters. Empathy is is sensing the feelings of others. Activator is getting things done, such a handy strength. Strategic is being able to look forward strategically, so look into the future and potentially see patterns in information. And developer is being able to develop other people. And if we think about those and your second mini experiment, wow, that's really strongly aligned, isn't it? Totally. I had no idea that developer was about developing other people. I thought I, I immediately thought of web developer. <laughs> I really should read the, <laughs> read the descriptions. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. So as you can hear, it's really worth looking back on your strengths report. If you haven't already done it, go to nikkismith.net.au forward slash strengths guide and I'll show you how you can get your own strengths report. And it's really worth revisiting. For those of you who've been listening for a while, you know that we want to get the most out of our work week and that means matching our work week to our strengths for 60 to 80% of our week and doing it in an iterative process, doing it one by one, but working towards that 60 to 80%. So what do you think are two things that you do, Carly, to focus on your strengths? Well, my podcasts fall pretty fairly square in the communication kind of area. And I try to, this this year, the last two years, I've tried to really move into a place where I'm showing up in the areas that I want and creating systems and um, people who have opposite strengths to me to really help me show up in those areas. So the communicator part is huge for me. And I spend most of my week in that space 
either podcasting, you know, doing Carlosophy's interviews, doing uh, the free flow convos for them, and now also doing it for Keeping Good Company, plus my book writing and getting on other people's podcasts. So I spend a lot of time in the communicator role, but I guess the mastermind part of it definitely, definitely brings out developer the empathy kind of role. And I think I just naturally am always in the activator space. So I would say that I absolutely would show up 80% of my work time in those key areas of strength. Yeah, so you've reached the holy grail in terms of strengths and work week. And what I know is, and that Carly's touched on, she is good with systems. And so she's really been clear to get systems in place with Killer Copy and the podcasts. And I'm imagining the masterminds as well, get some systems and things in place, even if it's over a period of time, to ensure that she does have time to do two podcasts and a book and run Killer Copy. So wherever you are, it's worth just taking that next step to make sure you're working to your strengths for most of your work week. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to add that I have a three and a half year old too. So most of this stuff happens in the 15, well, you know, in the three days of daycare that she's there from nine to four. And I also always prioritize a walk on the beach in those work days. That's kind of a non-negotiable. And the other thing that I should mention, which was totally inspired by you, Nikki, was my bed making practice, <laughs> which was a mini experiment that I started two years ago. I just wanted to make my bed every day for a month because it was something that I did that made me feel good and had an onflow effect, very small action. that had a big onflow effect for me, working from home, walking past my bed all the time. Um, it just gave me a feeling of accomplishment. So it was life-changing for me. And so now, two and a bit years on, two and a half years on, I think it is, I'm still making my bed every day. So thank you because, actually, it was an interview that I did with you on New Year's. Do you remember that, Nikki? I do. It was about habit change, wasn't it? And so we set a couple of challenges and one was for me to make the bed and the other one was for me to prioritise exercise. And I've done those. I've just realised I've done both of those. You have, you've smashed it. And what I love too, I think the exercise goal used to be running and it sounds like it's morphed into walking and you sound really happy about it. I am because the the running thing was, you know, more a should thing, but I realized I, I get the same clarity while I'm walking and I just let go of the, you know, the need for me to be someone else really. That was really the the key behind the running was I used to do it and I used to love it because back then I was depressed and anxious and it was part of my ongoing maintenance. And so now I feel like I'm in a much better place and I am really connected to, you know, my inner voice and all that kind of jazz. The walking is totally fine for me to do. And so I just let go of the needing to get a sweat up in order for it to be worthy. So that's really interesting. (laughs) I did it. Yeah, it's brilliant. And it is interesting when you actually listen to your body about what exercise it wants to do. It may not be the hardest core version that you think it is. The main thing for me about that was prior to that, I'd had a real story about me not being a person who could be consistent at anything. To be sitting here almost two or three years later and having a conversation about a conversation we had two or three years earlier where I have been consistent ever since that conversation totally proves that I am a consistent person. I just had some limiting beliefs around it. But also what we've been taught about habit change sets us up to fail. And so you can listen for a more in-depth version of this on Carly's podcast, 
philosophies. It's episode eight, I think. Just to recap briefly, honestly, our brain can only cement one new habit a month. So we get to a point where we get a bit fed up with ourselves and we think, I want to change six or more things. And we try that out for four to seven days and it all falls over. So for Carly, we picked the one that was the keystone habit that was going to have a ripple effect into the rest of her life. And can you remember, did you choose the movement or the, the bed making, do you think? The bed the bed. So it's actually quicker and quicker and shorter than the movement, but was going to have a ripple effect and she was more likely to walk because she felt kind of calm and organized and in control. Amazing. Well, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. That's brilliant. So when it comes to our weaknesses or self-limiting beliefs, one of the tips from strengths principles is to actually partner up with someone who has that weakness as a strength or to actually outsource or eliminate the need to do the tasks. Can you think of one or two strengths that you either outsource or partner up with or eliminate? Yeah. So on the business front, you know, consistency overall can is really can be a real challenge for me because I am creative, constantly doing new things. And so then I have a tendency to drop things to move on to the next thing. And and I want to be able to show up in the world consistently. So finding people who can make that stuff happen behind the scenes has really been pretty key for me. People who, you know, I can create the systems, but sometimes I'm not that great at following the systems. So so having people who are really great at following those systems keeps me in check too. So things, simple things like, um, you know, I can create the podcast, but it's quite easy for me to create it and then just leave it sitting there and not doing it. So partnering with people whose strengths are really seeing things through, definitely one that has allowed me to show up as the creator without having the guilt attached to just creating and moving on. And are you meeting, meaning like a technology person or a co-interviewer, a technology person? Technology person. So someone who can take take it and create the blog post and put it into the host and get it into iTunes. That kind of stuff, that, that really detailed stuff that's repetitive bores the crap out of me. So I want to be in a place where I'm constantly growing and um, trying new things. And so the repetition of the same thing every day really drains me. So yeah, so having those people who can do that stuff for me really allows me to be able to show up in the communicator role, you know, and in that activator role rather than just doing the tiny little detailed stuff that drains the hell out of me. Yeah, it's just not, it's just not fun for me to do that stuff. And it's absolutely key, like you said, if you're a creative, if you love variety, then this is really important to listen into. We, many of us have been brought up to believe and think we have to do it all. If we do it all, then we actually risk doing some of our best work. So for Carly, and I'm the same, I, my husband does the technology side. Otherwise, yeah, I don't think my podcast would still be in existence. Uh, and for Carly, can you hear how many projects she has on? And that wouldn't be possible if she was doing all the itty-bitty technology side that drains her because then she'd be drained and she'd need a power nap rather than writing two chapters of her book. And it would easily eat up those 15 hours that she had as well. So if you want to do your best work, if you want to add more projects to your life, it's really important to consider who am I going to partner up with or outsource or eliminate tasks to get more stuff done. And the simplest one to start with is potentially hiring a cleaner to even give yourself the chance to have headspace to think about your next project. 
I actually enjoy the cleaning, which is really bizarre. I've had cleaners before, and but I, I love cleaning myself, which is so weird. But but that's the thing, right? Like, I enjoy it, so I'll do it. But with other things, you know, I'm not a DIY type person. I don't want to learn how to create my own website. I'd rather find the people who have those skills and utilize it than learn skills that won't that don't align me with my strengths. So um, if there is something that I need to learn how to do, I'll often get find someone who knows how to do it and get them to do it because my time is better spent showing up in this space than figuring out the other stuff that bores me. Exactly. And to begin with, it can feel a bit indulgent or a bit unnecessary, but I promise you if you do it time and time again, it will begin to feel absolutely normal and magnificent. So the next bit I want to cover with Carly is um, one of her zones of genius, which is helping people to move past their fears. What are some of your hints that you want to share with us today about that, Carly? The first one is really one that hit me in the chest really hard when I first kind of read it, which was probably only a couple of years ago. And that is what we're afraid of has already happened. So we have we have these fears around things like, you know, say speaking up, showing up speaking up is a, is a big fear. And for me, often it's related to me getting it wrong. So the reason that I'm afraid of that is because primary school, I was probably sitting in a classroom and thought I had the right answer, put my hand up and gave a wrong answer. And everyone either laughed or the teacher went crook at me. So, so the things that we're afraid of, we're afraid of because we've already experienced them. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be a constant repetition of that until the end of time. It just means that it's like a neural pathway. It's there to stop us. We, we want to move away from exposure, from the potential for, you know, a lion being on the outside and a lion can come and get us. So, you know, we still have that real primitive brain. We want to move away from situations that put us at risk, but always they've already happened, which is why we're afraid of them. And if that is the case, it means that, you know, you're alive, you're breathing. The fear may be valid, but it doesn't mean that it is a cycle. It might not ever happen again. So just remember that as you you're taking action. Think about where have you where have you felt this before? What is it related to? And what is the likelihood of it happening again? What is the worst case scenario? Because often, you know, you put your hand up and you get the answer wrong. Really, the only person who cares is you. Uh, you know, nobody else is really judging you as harshly as you're judging yourself. And that really is point number two, right? People don't care as much <laughs> about us as we care about ourselves and the way that we're seen. So you're really off the hook. People are constantly more worried about themselves than they are about you and and what you're getting wrong or right. And lastly, it is drop perfection and embrace experimentation. So, you know, we've spoken about this before on Carlosophies and just the different energy that it brings because there is no huge attachment to it needing to unfold in a certain way. You can just give it a go. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine. You can try something else. So really dropping the need for perfection and replacing it with experimentation. And I feel like the experiment or the mini experiment is helpful for us in our own brain, but it's also helpful when we're explaining it to other people. You know, people say the oddest things when we try something new. So it's not only important to keep that inner circle small of who you tell what when something's really brand new, but also tell them it's a mini experiment. Tell them you're testing it out. You're not marrying the concept. You're not quitting your job tomorrow. You're just testing something out. Yeah, so helpful to not only calm yourself, but calm the people around you. 
Yeah, I think we're sold this image of, you know, standing on the edge of the cliff and and jumping off and the wings appear as we land, but sometimes they don't and we land flat on our face on a bunch of rocks at the bottom of the cliff. Whereas if we'd just, you know, taken a lighter, more gentle approach, things can work out a lot lighter and gentler. So um, we don't need to take huge leaps. We can just take small steps. Yeah, I love that. A quote I read recently is there's a lot of joy and excitement on the other side of fear. If we don't step through the fear, we're going to miss out on joy and excitement. So there's many, many reasons to do it. We've been given a bunch of fantastic hints by Carly. And I wonder if that's the mini challenge or mini experiment we encourage listeners to do, which is to think of something perhaps they've been wanting to do for five or 10 years. Absolutely. And just MVP it, you know, take that MVP approach. What is the, what is the minimum viable product? What is the least amount you could do? Because I I find what happens is, and this is something that I say, run faster than your self-doubt. You know, if you've had this idea that you've been sitting on, how can you get it live as quickly as possible so that your fear doesn't have a chance to kind of come in so that your self-doubt doesn't catch up with you? I can't tell you how many calls I've been on with people who have done Radcasters and have wanted to start a podcast forever. And I know it's possible to start a podcast and get it live in iTunes in a day. Like it doesn't have to be hard. It just has to get done. So if there's something that you've been sitting on for a while, an idea, I really encourage you to just have a think about how you could bring it together that plays to your strengths. So for me, it involves just getting it done, not having all the tech stuff and all the details that are going to overwhelm me and just moving through. So obviously have a think about your strengths and how you show up and how you enjoy doing things and then just create something that is a smaller version of your big dream because that big dream, the distance between you and it can feel so huge. We never take a first step and it's really just about taking the first step. Yeah, beautifully said. So if you're thinking about coaching, coach one friend. If you're thinking about wanting to be a painter, go to one art class. If you're thinking about hosting a retreat, invite one friend over for a two-hour duo retreat, something like that. We invite you to do that. And I would love to let everyone know where they can find your two podcasts. So we're in iTunes and Stitcher and all the podcatchers of choice. It's Carlosophies is my own personal one. And it's all about, you know, fear and failure and and the struggles of being an entrepreneur. And it's me and my guests being really open, very raw. And then the other podcast is my collaboration with Lisa Cordoff and it's called Keeping Good Company. Totally amazing. It's a great show. It's all about what it takes to create, keep and grow good company. So those two you can find in iTunes or in your podcast catcher of choice. But if you just want to connect with me, it's Carly Nimmo um, on, you know, pretty much everywhere. The website's carlynimmo.com. So there's many ways that you can connect with Carly and she loves positive feedback as we all do. So if you listen to a podcast and you enjoy it, please let her know. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please let us know and keep us up to date with your mini experiment of that core desired dream that you've had for three, five or 10 years. And we look forward to hearing from you soon. Carly, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. It's a delight as always. <laughs> Fantastic. I really enjoyed today's chat and we'll see everyone soon. Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more stories like this one, please subscribe and spread the word. Till next time.